0: Here's a question. How do you be less awkward? That's, I mean, that's a question that uh, all of us have faced, I think. Some more than others. Unless you're cool.
1: Researchers at MIT have developed a robot that will help you be less awkward.
0: Basically, it's this screen that uh, interviews you, sort of a fake job interview. Uh, it's this uh, you know, computerized woman on a screen. They have cameras. And they analyze all the weird things you do, the words you say, the, the faces you make, um, and then it gives you feedback on what, you know, maybe you could improve.
1: Yeah, the goal here is to help you uh, improve your social interaction skills.
0: This robot's named Mary, by the way.
1: Now, we don't have the budget to travel to Cambridge and try this out ourselves, so we sent somebody please else please instead.
2: Tell me a little about yourself. Please press the R button before recording your answer. Stop recording
1: by pressing it again. Uh, my name is Chris Danforth. I recently moved to Cambridge from Minneapolis a few weeks ago. I'm a radio producer. So Chris, and Chris
0: Danforth is actually Mike's brother. That's my brother Chris, Chris Danforth. And he, he lives closer to MIT
1: than we do. So Chris, you walk in, you meet this guy, Asan Hawk, who came up with this robot, and then what happens? Yeah, so I walked in, and uh, he had me to sit down at his at a desk that had a couple of computer monitors on it and we basically dove right in so i sat down and uh just started talking to this computer monitor that had this max headroom like woman staring at me who when i first started talking uh started nodding and in agreement to what i was saying as if it completely understood every word i was i was i was saying which was really jarring. Did did the reactions make sense?
0: Like, was she nodding at things that a human being would nod to? Yeah. So
1: sometimes they did make sense, and other times they did not make any sense at all. <laughs> and that was the one thing. I, I at a, at certain points during the interview, I uh, was trying to be funny or you know making up ridiculous answers to the interview questions. Once I realized that you know it, it, she had no idea what I was saying. Um, she was you know, just taking the words as data. All right, let's right, let's let's hear some of this interaction with the robot.
2: Let me move on. What is your main weakness, and how do you plan to overcome it?
1: My main weakness is that I'm actually very ambitious, and sometimes I bite off more than I can chew. So I'm deciding um, now that I'm going to take a lot more naps throughout the day, calm down a little bit, um, you know, just cuddle Up in a little ball underneath my desk, and just kind of snooze. Even if I don't need to snooze or don't want to snooze, I'm just going to do it to slow myself down.
2: Identifying your own weaknesses is a big step. Overcoming them can be even more difficult. I hope that your plans are successful. Thank you. And finally, why do you want this job?
1: I don't think anybody else could do this job. I really don't. I think. Actually, I know that's true. I've talked to the people, the other people that are applying for this job, and I've already interviewed them for you, and they're not good. They're not good candidates for this job.
2: I can definitely understand that.
1: This well, it's, it's interesting
0: because she, she's both like, I uh, it's such sophisticated technology. Uh, but right. they've made kind of a really dumb human
1: <laughs> you know I, I'm I'm actually really excited to see where this goes because I think it's pretty early on in its development you know in some ways um, there was parts of it there were some holes it wasn't mes- necessarily you know a- a- talking to an actual human but I think as a training tool as, a, as something practice or rehearsal in a job interview I could see it being very beneficial um but yeah not quite there yet with the with the smarts thing so i've i've been in a job interview before and it seems like there's a point when you can kind of tell where the person interviewing interviewing you makes a decision did was there ever a point where she uh you got a sense she knew what she needed to know from you well in previous job interviews that i've done i think one of the one of my little weapons i keep in my back pocket is maybe cracking a good joke or something trying to light the mood or you know, make the com the situation a little bit more comfortable for everybody, and that's a very human interaction. You know, when there's you're playing off each other's uh, chemistry and and humor and in the situation, and that just did not work with this robot. <laughs> you couldn't make any like funny gestures or quick moves to kind of uh, loosen her up. Well, and right, exactly. And if you uh, it was there was so there's cameras inside uh, that were reading my facial expression, my body movement. Uh, eye contact, my, you know, whether or not I was smiling. So one of the after the first round of interviews, uh, Asan gave me some feedback saying that I was smiling at certain points uh, during the interview, but I could smile more. And this information was actually displayed on a graph that was had a frowny face at one end and a smiley face all the way at the other end. And I was kind of charting closer to the frowny face, so th- the second interview I did, I was really trying to smile more and to the point where I was being very self conscious and aware of that i that I wasn't smiling, and so I'd start talking and then start to smile, and my voice would sound kind of funny because I was trying to smile.
0: <laughs> there is really a line where you can smile too much, and you
1: you start to look creepy. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. I didn't know that, but thankfully the software taught me that.
0: What 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 should I be picturing here? Like Pixar or or what?
1: I would yeah, definitely not not Pixar. Um, going back to the to the Mac Max Headroom era of animation, um, a little boxy. Uh, she, I, as, as I understand it, the animation was done by a company in France. So she's dressed very well. Uh, she has a nice blazer on and like a quarter zip sweater and a kind of a sassy hairdo that's a little bit short in front and kind of jagged along the edges. Did did she? Does she blink? <laughs> she she does blink. She does blink every once in a while. She does blink, but mostly she just sits there and stares at you. And stares at you and keeps staring at you until you until you rep- respond to her questions. While you're smiling like a crazy person. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Well, did,
0: did you learn anything about yourself from, from the data you got that, that you might actually use in a job interview in the future?
1: I did. Uh, but one of the things that happened, actually, after the very first interview... Is that the data is pulled up and and there's a bunch of different graphs and charts, one of which is the frowny face smiley face graph, and the other one is a is a bar graph that that shows the analysis of this of what I was saying how how I was speaking the words I was choosing, and I did really well on three of the four, but there was one that was ridiculously. Uh, off the charts literally like three times off the charts and I asked them I was like so what what's this all about over here this big giant green line that goes it's going up the uh, monitor there and he's he said I was speaking too quickly and that was the that was showing that I had spoken far too fast for for my first round
2: please look at the screen to the site for your feedback
1: Can I ask you, has, has anybody ever done that bad it's g- not bad. it's no, it's, different. A, it's okay. You can be honest. It's it's kind of it's bad. Or maybe it's a glitch in the system. <laughs> <laughs> How about, all right, let me rephrase it. Has anybody ever gotten that score before?
3: No, I haven't seen that before. Okay, that's good. See. Okay. Uh, the, your weak language actually got worse in terms of. I realized
1: that. I was realizing that. I said, said,
3: uh, that. "Yeah, you said well twice."
1: You said the word "totally" once. Okay. Um, and what's and Chris, what's worse, talking to us or talking to her? <laughs> you know, um I it's it's they're kind of about the same, I think. Kind of about the same. Yeah, there's she was a was as about as responsive as you guys are to what I'm saying.
0: I feel like you kind of got a glimpse into what our futures are gonna be like is talking to kind of creepy uncanny valley you know voice right. recognition screens
1: yeah I, there's this new matt damon movie out elysium which i made the mistake of seeing yesterday and there's a scene where these android cops walk up to him at, at the start of the movie and he tries to be funny with them and uh they're they they do not recognize his humor and they end up breaking his arm uh, th- thankfully, I was able to walk out of Asan's office without a broken arm or anything, but in who knows what's gonna happen here. Well, I wonder if we the problem isn't the robots, but but us. It's if our, our build, jokes. Yeah, like we need to maybe think more along the lines of like, what's a robot gonna think is funny? Like maybe some. Dot matrix references Right, that's a good point Like Some jokes about C++ Or some DOS jokes, throw those out there and See what they do Let, Let's do this Let's
0: uh, come up with a way to make a robot laugh
1: Like Find a comedian who can tell a, a joke Good enough for a robot Yeah, good robot joke
3: Hi, uh, this is Adam Burke uh, I'm a Chicago comedian I think I can make a robot laugh You ready?
1: Yeah, let's have it
3: All right, We'll start off classic uh, Why did the chicken cross the road? It was just following its program, just like I did when I crushed the human resistance. Ah, uh, I'll go poetical on this one. Roses are red, violets are blue, or so they tell me. My achromatic sensors mainly receive in the infrared spectrum. Uh, why do automotive robots like the First Amendment? It guarantees them the right of assembly.
4: Ha, ha, ha. That's good stuff, Adam.
1: Adam Burke is a Chicago comedian. For more information on Adam, you can check him out at adamburkcomedy.com. That's Burke, B-U-R-K-E.
0: A new species, you may have heard, has been discovered. The olanguito. So we're wondering, how do you go about finding
1: a new animal? Chris Helgen is the curator of mammals at the Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History, he discovered the Guido. So, Chris, how do you go about finding a new mammal?
4: The story starts where it often starts with discoveries like this, which is not out in the jungle, not looking for an animal and, and stumbling across it in the rainforest, but behind the scenes in a museum. That's how it happened with me. So the story starts at the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, oh. and that's where I first Saw specimens in a drawer in a cabinet behind the scenes of the Olinguito.
0: So, so you saw this thing, and you thought that doesn't look like anything on the books.
4: Then that's that's right. I'll, I mean, I'll let you in on a little secret, which is this: this happens all the time. Biologists like myself can find these things uh, in plants and animals new to science behind the scenes in collections because. We kind of we know these we, we know a particular group of organisms oftentimes well enough to pull something out and say, Wow that's what happened here. I was looking at specimens of another kind of mammal called the Olingo. Mm-hmm. And I had started studying lots of Olingo specimens and I was learning how to tell the different kinds apart and that's when I pulled out this drawer and found these skins which had these kind of rich red orange um, pelts with long fur and bushy tails, and I said, wow, that's not an olingo, and it's no other animal that I recognized. Can it be that this animal, here in the drawer, and these specimens are a species of mammal that's been overlooked by all zoologists until now? And ultimately, that was the answer. That was true. That had been completely overlooked. That was the olinguito.
0: Well, I wonder, does it ever happen that um, you end up... I, I just think about you know the diversity... In the human species, right? And I, d- does it ever happen that oh, uh, I think we found a new bear? Oh no, that's just a really ugly grizzly bear.
4: <laughs> it, that that does happen. Uh, something like you suggest just there. So, uh, part of doing this is understanding patterns of variation, just like you're saying. You know, humanity, uh, you know, can look awfully variable uh, just just looking from the surface, and so. Uh, and other species are exactly the same.
1: Chris, is there a, a species or an animal out there that you think is out there but hasn't been discovered yet? Is there something you're, you're looking for?
4: Well, there's a lot more to come. And, uh, you know, this is, this is what I do for a living in large part is is document the richness and diversity of, of mammal life. And so uh, I'm going to be a little bit cagey only because, you know, we've just announced the Olenguito, um, but there are a lot more to go. With the Olinguito, it's it's about the thirtieth mammal that I've given a name to in, in, in our work here at the Smithsonian, and we have a long way to go. We have uh, more than double that number of species still to report. So I'm not going to tell you uh, what I think is still out there, but I want I hope it'll be enough for people to know that there is a lot out there, and there are um, quite a few different species of mammals that just like the Olinguito um, have been hiding and sometimes even hiding in plain sight until the 21st century
1: is one of those species sasquatch no it doesn't exist
4: no i know that will disappoint everyone (laughs) but uh you do have on the line uh someone who uh discovers mammals and that's one of the main things i do and uh uh I'm sorry that this will disappoint people, but the truth is, is even more spectacular. There's so many kinds of beautiful tropical mammals out there. Some of them that we'll be reporting are even bigger than the Olinguito.
0: Looking looking at a picture of the Olinguito, it's it is adorable. Its name is uh Olingito in part because it's cute. That's can, right. Can you evaluate uh for me um its uh how it might be as a pet? <laughs>
4: Well, I don't think so. They're 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 only coming out at night. Um, they're arboreal. They only like to stay up in the trees and not come down to the ground. Um, they um, are very shy. So, uh, if you, and if you want a pet that uh, you won't be able to get sort of down out of the rafters and will only come out at night uh, and is very very hard to find, very shy, well. That then then there's the Olinguito, but I don't think it'll make a good pet, and I certainly don't want to see people keeping it as a pet.
1: I I think you have to. We we can only blame you though, because what an adorable <laughs> name! <laughs> I think you you should have come up with a, a worse, like a, an unattractive name to keep it out of people's homes.
4: Turn people away from the Olinguito. Well, yeah. maybe so. Well,
0: that that's actually an interesting question. I mean, in all the species that you've uh, you found. Did you ever give something a name uh because the animal itself seemed kind of menacing or Uh
4: that's a great question. Um No, I, I, I haven't yet, but uh um I'm, I may well do that with some of the things that are that are coming down the line. So, uh, I think we've we've ch- we've chosen sort of uh pretty normal names so far, but uh uh, because we can choose what labels we want to apply to these animals when we introduce them to the the Western world, at least to the scientific world, um, I'm going to be thinking a little more about the names I choose now that we've uh, now that we've uh, been introducing the Olingito.
1: I'm wondering, Chris, if we were to go through the list of animals that you've <laughs> named, how many of them just end with Ito and. <laughs> you- <laughs> Oh, I, I see you're suspicious that I that I just continue to toss that one out. Well, they're just adorable to you, and you can't help but be, <laughs> to want to cuddle with them. <laughs> Hey, well, I won't argue with that. Every single one, whether the
4: public or not, agrees, I have found to be extremely adorable, from the tiniest little moss mice up to um, um, the biggest and heftiest fruit-eating bats. I think that they are all adorable, yes.
0: I feel like we've got a few a few hints in this conversation that <clears throat> there's a species coming down the line that is larger than an olenguito and is mean, yep. and we're going to hear about it soon. Just, <laughs>
3: All right.
4: All right. Well, maybe, uh, maybe I can come back and tell you about that beast, uh, beast when, it finally, uh, when we finally release its news.
1: Oh, does it have a taste for man flesh?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you anything more. Oh, my gosh.
0: Well, Chris, thank you so much.
4: You're most welcome. Glad to be here with you.
0: You may remember a couple weeks ago we mentioned a baseball player named Rock Shoulders.
1: The idea was that I really wanted to talk to a person named Rock Shoulders.
0: Um, But we didn't actually have anything we needed to ask him. So we asked you to send in any question you might have for someone named
1: Rock Shoulders. We got a ton of questions. And Blythe was able to track him down. And he's on the line with us now from the weight room at the uh, Kane County Cougars Stadium outside of Chicago.
0: So, Rock, thanks for doing this. Uh, Let's start here. Uh, How did you get your name?
3: Um... I got it when I was younger. I mean, I got it like when I was like four years old. One of my uh, my buddies, his mom couldn't really say my name that well, so she just dropped a couple of letters out of the middle of it and combined it the first two and the last two, and that's how I came up with the name Rock. So and uh, teachers, like family members, everybody's been calling me that since then.
0: So what is, what is the name it comes from?
3: Uh, Roderick, R-O-D-E-R-I-C-K.
1: Yeah, Rock is a lot cooler. I gotta say yeah well so rock we went to our listeners and we asked them if they had any questions for you and okay one of the questions we got was from uh naomi and she asked if you ever got picked on because you you were named rock shoulders
3: uh not really picked on but i, I will say some people tried to give me their own nicknames calling me pebble <laughs> and stuff like that and boulder and all kind of stuff but i didn't take it as picked on i just took it as jealousy
1: yeah, Everybody
3: wanted my name, and they just were trying to make fun of me because they wanted to have my name instead of their own name.
0: All right, we got a question. Uh, both Paul and Curtis sent in questions. They want to know, being named Rock, does that uh, influence how you play rock, paper, scissors? Do you always go rock?
3: Um, To be honest, I will say yeah. I do throw rock a lot more, but I still like to throw paper just to keep people on their toes.
0: Have you ever played against somebody named
1: paper?
3: No, I haven't. Right. That'd, that'd be a good match. Yep. Yeah, you,
1: you I mean, I wonder if you would feel weak in in the face of somebody named paper since paper always defeats rock.
3: Oh no, nah, not at all cuz if you throw if you throw a rock hard enough that a piece of paper it rips all the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true. Although what if what would happen if you got in the batter's box and the opposing pitcher was named paper?
3: I'm I'm pretty sure the crowd the crowd would love it and it'd probably blow up pretty quick but of course rock would win.
1: Yeah. It you'd you'd blow the rules right out the window in that case.
3: Exactly. All
1: right, here's another question. This is from uh Toby and he's says he's thought a lot about the name Rock Shoulders and it's made him think what would it be like to actually have shoulders made out of rock? And he wonders if you've thought about this and if you have have any uh, realizations about what it would be like to have rock shoulders.
3: Um, honestly, I, I never really, like, thought about it in that term. Because, uh, I don't know, I mean, I, I feel like it would be pretty cool. Because, I mean, if you look at Dwayne Johnson, the real rock, his shoulders are pretty rock. And I'd yeah, like to right. have those shoulders. But at the same time, whenever I was growing up and I started to get my tattoos and stuff, I uh, at one point I thought about getting my shoulders tattooed like rocks
1: really awesome
3: yeah i did think about it but i didn't end up going through with it
1: so i mean i have to ask i can't see you because you're on the phone do you actually have pretty strong shoulders
3: um i would i would say i do but that's all a personal preference from people
1: well rock this has been great thank you so much
3: yeah anytime
1: We got a note from Cameron. He says he listens to our show while making wheels for model trains. Cameron, these next 15 seconds
0: are for you It strikes me that what we're playing right now is a train song. Sure.
2: Uh,
0: and what what we need for Cameron is a model train song. So let's see let's see what happens here.
3: And all just
0: on time Alright, we are still collecting your toilets of the week. Get your nominations to howto at npr.org.
1: We got a letter from Dex recommending the toilet at the Twin Peaks Bar in San Francisco. All right, Dex, tell us about your toilet.
2: (laughs) Well, it's not mine. It's in the bar. But it is... um, So Twin Peaks Tavern is this historic landmark in San Francisco. It was the first gay bar in the United States to open its windows. So when you're sitting in there, you can look out. But more importantly, or perhaps more dangerously in the 70s, people could look in and see who was in there. And back in the 70s... um, it was still pretty commonplace for cops to raid any alternative lifestyle establishment for whatever they could come up with. Um, so this was a, a really, really um, kind of political statement on the part of the the owners uh, back in the 70s. But we're we're of course here to talk about the toilet, yeah. Which upstairs in Twin Peaks, it's got this little half mezzanine area up there which is really nice when you just want to go and have a quiet conversation. But when you have to go, there also happens to be a a little bathroom up there that's got a toilet and a sink. But it is the best smelling bathroom anywhere.
0: It's not a I mean that's not a tough competition. there it's <laughs> not a place that's known for good smells.
2: No, but this is this is just a delightful smelling bathroom. <laughs> um Twin Peaks is next door to a a cookie shop called <laughs> Hot Cookie, and the smell of Snickerdoodle wafts up uh, into the bathroom. And so when you go in there, you know you go in prepared for whatever smells one might ordinarily expect to smell sure. in a bathroom. But uh, you go in there, and and it's like, is that cinnamon and baking? I'm smelling. Wow! It, it, it First time um, we really noticed it, my husband and I were hanging out there, and we met this wonderful lesbian couple from Philadelphia, and they went off into the bathroom, and they uh, came back and exclaimed, this is the best smelling bathroom in the world.
1: Well, I have to say, Dex, that's the first time I've ever heard the word snickerdoodle and winced. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I
0: wouldn't want to say eat a snickerdoodle while I was going to the bathroom. You, know? you are
2: correct. However, after our friends from Philadelphia had discovered the the lovely smell, all of us decided that we had to have cookies, and so <laughs> one of us went over to Hot Cookie next door and got around to cookies and brought them back.
0: Well, it I mean it's it's interesting. I uh not to be crass, but it's interesting to experience uh both before food and after yeah. food at the same time.
2: You know, you started that sentence with not to be crass, but this segment is
1: called Toilet of the Week. (laughs) You have a good point, Dex. (laughs) Well, congratulations, Dex. You have this week's Toilet of the Week. That does it for this week's show.
0: What'd you learn, Ian? Well, I, I learned that there are strong words and weak words. You know, the the robot, the awkward robot, Mary, uh, tracks if you say uh, weak words like "well" and "totally." Those those are weak words. What's a strong word? Strong words are mostly just grunts. I just feel like if I'm if I'm in a job interview, and one of the questions is, "In your previous position," Did you ever save anybody trapped down something and mm-hmm. I'd be like well actually yes I uh, I rather heroically saved a, a baby that was down a well Cause and you, then oh, yeah, sure. boom weak word I don't get the
1: job because I I said well. well but couldn't you just counteract that with a strong word? like well, biceps
0: what if uh, what if in trains? Model trains were, like with humans, the models were the ones that were just way more attractive and skinny than the other trains.
1: Oh, sure. That'd be interesting, because then maybe you'd have plus size model trains,
0: mm-hmm. like really big big freight trains. It'd be fun to be a conductor on a model train, because you're not, you're not shoveling in coal, you're shoveling cocaine. How to Do Everything is produced by
1: Blythe Hega with Technical Direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Laura Beth Hurt. During her internship, she turned 18. This is her first job as an adult. So finally, we're not violating child labor laws. Well done,
0: Laura. And us. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org.
1: And visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.